0: Brush With is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects, the app for arts and culture. Created by Bloomberg Philanthropies, Bloomberg Connects lets you access museums, galleries and cultural spaces around the world on demand. Download the app to access digital guides and explore a variety of content. Hello, I'm Ben Luke and welcome to A Brush With, the podcast where I talk to artists about their influences, from other artists to writers, filmmakers and musicians, and the cultural experiences that have shaped their lives and work. And in this episode, it's A Brush With Dominique González-Fuerster, one of the leading European artists of her generation. Dominique works primarily with installation, but her artistic language is enormously diverse, taking in film and video, sculpture, holograms, sound, virtual reality and even smell. Her pieces range from spectacular immersive environments to enigmatic neon texts and draw on a wealth of references from literature and cinema to opera and architecture. Dominique was born in 1965 in Strasbourg in France and grew up in the southeastern French city of Grenoble. She studied at the fine arts school there and then at the hugely influential and forward-thinking art school at Le Magasin, Grenoble's contemporary arts centre. There she met, among others, Philippe perreno with whom she still collaborates to this day. They're part of a generation of artists from diverse backgrounds who are linked by their radical approach to exhibition making, seeing the very space in which art happens as an artistic medium and privileged the role of the viewer. We're often seen as collaborators rather than remote spectators. She and artists like Pereno, Pierre Huig, of Turovanija, Liam Gillick and others were gathered under the umbrella of relational aesthetics, a term coined by the critic Nicola Bourio. From the start of her career, Dominique made atmospheric environments. Her series Chambre, or Rooms, were dreamlike installations intended to evoke interiors from cinema and literature. In one of her earliest works, RWF, from 1993, she took a Cologne apartment and created an imaginary film set within it, a nod to Rainer Werner Fassbinder's use of his own flat for his films. As well as these more atmospheric but spare spaces, Dominique has pioneered a kind of maximalist experience involving light and sound. Perhaps her first notable work of this kind was Cosmodrome in 2001, a darkened room with flickering coloured light, not unlike a cityscape at night, with music by JJ Johansson. Dominique has said that her aim in creating these immersive experiences was to go towards not the object work, but the sensation work. Increasingly, her exhibitions are multi-environment journeys, creating a range of moods and appealing to multiple senses through different media, almost like a novel with chapters. Indeed, the influence of literature is explicit. In tapis de lecture, meaning reading carpet, piles of books, often with postcards reflecting Dominique's travels, are placed around the perimeter of a coloured rug, inviting the to pick up a book and enter the network of literary references that inform her art, perhaps even discuss it with fellow readers. The books also appear in one of her more dramatic works, TH58, made for the Turbine Hall at Tate Modern in 2008. They were placed on coloured bunk beds that filled the floor of the space, surrounded by well-known sculptures, including Louise Bourgeois' Spider, Maman and Flamingo by Alexander Calder, that had miraculously swelled in size. The beds and the enlarged sculptures were part of a speculative apocalyptic narrative imagining London in 2058 with climate change in its advanced stages and the turbine hall envisioned as a shelter from perpetual rain. A video work of the last film featured a montage of science fiction movies. And sci-fi has been a perpetual interest of Dominique's, and it informs one of her most ambitious installations, Alienarium 5, created for the Serpentine South Gallery in London this year. Described by Dominique as an anti-war of the world's vision, taking a positive view of extraterrestrial human connections, it features, among much else, a 10-minute virtual reality experience in which we're projected into outer space and occupy an alien body. There's also a huge circular environment called the Metapanorama, in which we look at Earth from outer space, surrounded by a constellation of images of nearly 200 extraterrestrials, astrological phenomena, elements of works of art and sundry heroes of Dominique's from writers to artists and filmmakers. And there's the latest in Dominique's extraordinary series Apparition, holograms in which she performs the role of cultural figures, from the opera singer Maria Callas to the character Fitzcarraldo from Werner Herzog's 1982 film, appearing in unforgettable, spellbinding form and haunting the spaces she occupies occupies. The latest apparition, which she calls Holorama 5, is a tribute to the American dancer and multidisciplinary artist Lois Fuller. As so often with Dominique, these works use new technologies to evoke historic public entertainments, the panoramas of the 19th century, museum dioramas, magic lanterns and Pepper's ghosts, and it's this fascination with the spectacles and illusions of the past with which I started our conversation. When did her interest in these experiences begin?
1: I think early on like maybe when I was a teenager I was always more into rooms than objects. I remember a trip to Italy where I was much more interested by a space uh, where all walls were covered with frescoes than by autonomous paintings. I remember that I was always captivated by full environments and spaces. Some identified as artwork, some not, but I remember that some very deep artistic emotions were triggered by environments and larger spaces. And that it was always a big excitement for me to discover new rooms rather than objects or artworks.
0: And would those often be kind of immersive experiences in other types of museum, and sometimes those kind of historical museums or natural history museums, for instance?
1: I always loved uh, apartment museums. Hmm. For example, in Paris, there's the Gustave Moreau Museum. Yeah. And Gustave Moreau is very interesting because he was the first one to explicitly writes about the idea of imagining an apartment studio museum. So to have the desire to keep his work in a context and to stage that, that's very interesting because when you think of his paintings, so Gustave Moreau, a symbolist painter from the 19th century, the paintings have this precious, unrealistic with all these figures, but also this way of painting that is this symbolist thing that is very specific. He was very much into dreams, all kinds of fictions and characters. And this person imagining that the best place for his drawings, paintings would be a studio apartment museum that he would plan in order to keep this full connections, atmosphere. This is also a place that I visited as a teenager and that made a lot of sense for me. So after that, I always tried to see museum apartments from writers, musicians. There is a fantastic house in Rochefort by Pierre Loti. Pierre Loti was also a, a... traveler writer from the late 19th century who basically in this house there were two things some rooms referred to some of his trips and that was quite common also at that time he would have a a Chinese room he spent a lot of time in Istanbul he also spent time in Japan so that the rooms were staging his traveling experiences but also the house had a middle-age or renaissance large room. And this house, I found really fascinating that you could, in one place, connect so many different cities, places, but also different periods in time. So this was a a big inspiration.
0: One of the things that you use when you describe the environments and you obviously create the environments it seems to me that one of the ways that you define them most powerfully is through language and and there is this consistent language in your work so it's exotourisma, alienarium, endodrome, cosmodrome these really interesting words it seems to me that those words seem to trigger all sorts of associations for you.
1: Yes absolutely and it's very interesting that the panorama going back to the panorama idea and, and the 19th century fashion of panoramas. So they were basically these cylindric con- constructions. These panoramas were everywhere in cities and there were several in big cities like London had many panoramas. Paris had many panoramas and panorama was a major pre-cinema attraction and I often say that I have the feeling that the way we experience exhibitions is still a continuation of this 19th century moment connected to, of course, all the great exhibitions and the world exhibitions and the the moment in which exhibition becomes an experience open to, to many And the panorama is part of this experimental moments. And so at that time, Balzac, the writer, in one of his books, there is this really great, I don't remember, it's one page where all the characters talk in Rama because panoramas were so big. So, so monorama, uh, chromorama, so for me, like to find this, to read that, it, connect with my excitement with all these words which are somehow for me exciting words because they host lots of things like ideas
0: they help create the world don't they they actually help create the idea of a space basically
1: yes yes the idea of a space totally and by naming these spaces by well it's the function of a Title, but it's more than a title. It's an active title, let's say. It's something that is it's also producing the alienarium was first called sensodrome. Huh. Yes, it wasn't alienarium from the beginning, it became alienarium. So it's also looking for the right name. Like I remember the Cosmodrome. It also took a bit of time to find the cosmopolitan. And then, of course, by now, I almost know all the Rama and the drums and the words in um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit more difficult. <laughs> and alienarium, I think when you put it between aquarium and planetarium, you get quite an idea of what it is. But it also has this number five, which refers to a book, Slaughterhouse-Five, by Kurt Von Goethe that I I read a long, long time ago and I was really impressed by. A word can be a place. This is also why some of these words' titles become works in themselves. So could be an eon. Because for me, they have so much... Power <laughs> and, like for example, exotourism was first a work in itself. So it was the exhibition created for the Prix Marcel Duchamp in Paris twenty years ago. And the Centre Pompidou has a, an incredible view on the rest of Paris. You can go to the top and you can have a, a fantastic panoramic experience. And 20 years ago, the exhibition was also on the sixth floor, on the top. And I wanted, (laughs) I didn't want to do better than this Paris panorama, but I wanted to to play on the same level. So exotourism was a, a platform into outer space and a window on an extraterrestrial landscape, and together with the cosmodrome in two thousand one, which the cosmodrome is more a total experience in in which you enter this unknown space, it's also a different kind of journey into space. But I think these two, the cosmodrome and exotourism, after having explored all sorts of domestic spaces, urban spaces, parks. I started to <laughs> to go one crazy step beyond,
0: <laughs> and you never turn back
1: and I never turned back.
0: I wanted to ask about the environments that you create and about the push and pull between a kind of um, spareness and then a a kind of fullness. And it seems to me there's it's almost like breathing in your exhibitions. There's spaces which are close to being empty and there's spaces, for instance, like the Meta Panorama at the Serpentine right now, which are absolutely packed with images and information. Tell me about that balance that you want to strike because it's a kind of um, mise-en-scene, which is also a journey, right?
1: Well, it's also... What in theater or what they call dramaturgy. It's a narrative use of the space in the sense that in order to have some emotional moments and density, it's also good to have the opposite. It's the same in a film, like you can't go on a, on a tense mode the full time. The first time I went to Japan in 86 and entered some spaces that were pretty empty in a western sense although i think in fact they're just full of other references it's just organized in a different way and it, it's about the reading but let's say the fact that there were less objects less furniture and what i saw as a kind of horizontal experimental playground this aspect i think resonated with a vision I had of the exhibition as a landscape under construction and in transformation rather than a finished space. So I think what must have been strange for some visitors, or audience, maybe now that's more like 30 years ago, looking at the first rooms was that there wasn't much. I mean, for me, it was already a lot. But at the beginning, I think I was more attracted to a kind of scarce and a minimal language, something with only a few clues and the necessary elements. Maybe the turbine hall was a turning point in that sense that it was the first time that there was an idea of of packing lots of, references, whether they were filmic, literature, sculptures into one space, making it a shelter, something changed there. Was it connected to the topic itself? So... You remember the story, so it's raining since years and and we need a place. So it was obviously a reference to climate change and coming disasters. But there was also, I'm not completely sure, but it could be. It was the first time that I also experienced and felt so much how necessary it was to display the palimpsest, this exhibition space was, so it, the Ruiz Bourgeois Spider had been there and Bruce Norman had shown there, even if it was a sound work. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, no, now I now remember this also happened with Munster, the Roman Munster. And I remember that this time I called it a maximalist novel because it was bringing together all the different sessions of the Münster sculpture project in one place at one time, of course, in miniature, and because both happened very parallel, like the miniatures of the Roman Münster and the gigantic sculptures of the TH2058 of the Turbine Hall. So suddenly this consciousness of how... The context of an exhibition is also all the previous exhibitions and previous artworks shown there are also very important characters and parts of the space. I think this started then as if in a séance. Suddenly, lots of spirits or characters were appearing, reappearing, asking for being there or asking for a place. And of course, I'm mentioning the seance because in Alienarium 5, vision, spiritualist artists play a very large part. And uh, Alienarium 5 is also built in relation to Hilma Klint's exhibition in that space, Emma Kunz's exhibition in mm. that space. And the Metapanorama has details from Richard Hamilton's collage has Gustav Metzger appearing. And of course, Philip Pareno too is in the panorama. And so, because we started with this breathing between something very uh, dense and, and a kind of void. And maybe it's an effect of aging that you're posting more and more memories, more and more artworks, more and more characters. But I, Anyway, I had always a bit of this tendency to be many inside, but now it's like it's, it comes out, it's just, it spills out, <laughs> but it's also an, an increased awareness that any artwork is a kind of symbiotic moment with other artworks.
0: So let's move on now to the questions that we ask all our guests. Who was the first artist whose work you loved?
1: It depends, you know, it's very difficult for me to answer that straight. I was already a big fan art with three years old. Like I would recognize, as my mother says, I have no way to check that. But apparently I would recognize a mural from a Picasso, from a Paul Klee, already with three years on postcards, you know.
0: Three-year-old connoisseur. I don't How know. How about that?
1: that's what they say maybe it's a family mythology anyway I think I loved postcards I loved artworks very early on I would do postcards so exhibitions in my dollhouse I would spend hours looking at artworks but I think that the first artist that really hit me very 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 deep was Marcel Duchamp where I was really like uh, almost traumatized that it existed. I remember, as an art student, once I wrote somewhere, maybe in my diary, when I'm angry, I'm angry at Marcel Duchamp, because there was always a feeling that it was impossible to go beyond that.
0: Did you know Duchamp before you went to the art school in Grenoble, or was it during that? period? Yes,
1: yes, because I was lucky to see the first Duchamp exhibition, the opening exhibition at the Pompidou. So maybe I was. Twelve, thirteen, 13. Yeah, for me, this was so, so important, like so disturbing, so amazing.
0: Duchamp is such a consistent name that comes up, as you can imagine. But but one of the things I'm most interested about Duchamp is that artists take so many different things from him. In, in Britain in the 90s, it was all about the Duchamp, the found objects. But you'd never say that about you and your generation. It's not about objects at all, really.
1: No, no, it was not about objects. I think for me, he had the connection to words, to language, and also to the Rose C'est character. Also the whole game with the boîte en valise. For me, the the ready-made or the objects were just one small aspect. I was much more into Étant donné than the ready-made, or maybe even more in the amount of notes he made. Like for me, every fragment, like all these sentences and all this kind of cryptic freedom yeah. in relation to language, artworks. And I think I, I experienced it as expanded literature.
0: That's a really interesting way to put it, because you're right. They sort of deepen the mystery, the notes, don't they? They don't really explain it in any legible way. They can actually just they take you into another space with the work
1: yes yes and i felt that this capacity of producing interpretation producing all sorts of meanings producing excitement i think yeah that that was a, a big love you know and then there were still aspects like when i don't remember when but maybe 10 or 15 years ago, his relationship with Maria Martins, the Brazilian sculpture and all their exchanges and how they influenced each other and all this story made so much sense. But then you you always find another aspect, also the, the way he curated the exhibitions, the relation to other artists. Now, if we're not talking in a chronological way, I think... The artist which I'm the most fascinated by is Lois Fuller.
0: Well, actually, that perfectly answers the next question, which is which historical artist you turn to the most today. And Lois Fuller is so present in the work at the Serpentine, this extraordinary hologram, which I sort of urged when I wrote about it, people not to miss because actually it's very quietly there and, you know, viewable from the park itself. Yes. But it's a hologram of you performing as Lois Fuller.
1: Yeah, yeah. in it, trying to give a contemporary version of Loewe Fuller, but deeply, deeply Loewe Fuller. So Lois Fuller appears several times in the Meta Panorama. Wow. And she was also part of the Panorama, the volcanic excursion at the Secession in Vienna. Right. And the past years, to me, she's the most fertile, the most incredible. There are so many aspects in her practice in her research and it goes from stage to cinema but of course also from dance to sculpture and all forms so she's deeply deeply inspiring
0: she seems almost like a proto artist of your generation in some ways doesn't she because this idea she she designed lighting and things like that as well as doing this extraordinary movement yeah
1: yes she didn't see barriers, she didn't see limits in what she could experiment. She had a connection to, which is also very much from her time, but this connection to both organic and abstract shapes. we don't know what she would have done with our digital world, you know. But Lots of whether the performance artists or even singers, they don't realize how much they owe to Loy Fuller. Yes, Lloyd Fuller, forever.
0: <laughs> She's extraordinary. Let's move on to contemporary artists. Which contemporary artists do you most admire?
1: I've been very lucky to be surrounded with so many great artists, and I went to art school with um, Philippe Areno and Pierre Joseph. And in a funny way, we, we also went to the same high school, you know, so we all had a great professor mm. and then went to art school, met at art school. And with Philippe, we are very close friends till now. So Philippe is, is a friend and for me, yeah, a very, very inspiring artist Alien Seasons, the exhibition he conceived in also like 20 years ago with hans Ulrich Obrist and Jaron Lanier, mm. was really a prototype, I think, for lots of the exhibition we've seen after that exhibition, which are programmed in space and where you have, have their choreography and so Philippe. I, again, I talk about luck because I've been very, very... Lucky to meet Felix Gonzalez Torres Mm. the first time, I think in ninety one. And we also we became friends and to have a a close exchange and because for me he's probably like uh, the most important artist.
0: It's amazing how Felix's legacy just grows and grows, how he's so present. You feel him in so much contemporary art all around us. His influence is spreading and spreading. It's extraordinary to see that 25 years, sadly, after his death.
1: Yes, because I think every work is so precise and clear, but at the same time, emotional and political. But no wonder, because as a person, He was also just an extraordinary being. You know, the letters he sent me, the words we exchanged. It's like Louis Fuller. I I want to know what he would do now. I want to imagine his works now. I find it so unfair that three therapies happened just one year later that I want him to be around and I want him to be alive.
0: Hmm. You mentioned earlier on that you had works pinned into doll's houses when you were a child, but do you have works around you in your living and studio space today? I don't even know. Do you have a studio?
1: I have no studio in that sense. I'm very much like Felix and this is something I I loved with him. Like Felix worked in his apartment. He had no studio and you can also feel that, that the works are rooted in daily moments and practice and they're not growing in a studio. And I'm the same. I don't have a studio and I don't have any artworks on the wall and I don't like anything on the walls because I, uh, my friends, they really laugh when I say that. But I, I describe the walls as screens, you know, projection screens. Mm. So it's when, when I have ideas I need. So no, there's not a single artwork. There is not a single, even something on the walls. So my daughter, she says, that she has the feeling it's a bit of a strange place we live in (laughs) because it's she said it's arranged in a strange way i don't know exactly what she means (laughs) she knows
0: i'm sure she does A Brush With is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects, the app for arts and culture. The free app offers access to more than 75 cultural organisations through a single download, ranging from the Mississippi Museum of Art to Aberdeen Art Gallery and the Guggenheim Museum in New York. As you've heard, Dominique has created an extraordinary transformative installation, Alienarium 5, at the Serpentine South Gallery in London. If you download the interactive guide to the Serpentine on Bloomberg Connects, you can explore the exhibition in depth, with an audio introduction to the environment Dominique's created and a series of transmissions, soundscapes reflecting the show's science fiction subject matter. You can also discover the 2022 Serpentine Pavilion, Black Chapel by Theaster Gates, as well as past pavilion designs from the likes of Frida Escobar. Better. to explore digital guides to all the partnering institutions download the app today it's available from the app store and google play and you can keep up to date by following bloomberg connects on facebook twitter and instagram let's move on to museums you mentioned the gustave moreau museum earlier on but which museum or gallery do you visit most frequently now
1: I go to very different places. I try not to repeat myself too much. I go to museums to see something specific, but sometimes I prefer to go, you know, I go to a park or I go to see films or... I don't see museums, even if they're very interesting places for me. And obviously there is always excitement, but... It's not my first excitement to go to museums.
0: Hmm. The Pompidou, as you say, you visited the Pompidou as a very. I
1: love the Pom. Of course, I like the Pompidou, but it's sometimes I spend six months without going to the Pompidou. It's not like I would go, like you know. (laughs) And they might not want to hear that, but (laughs) so this is why I say I don't have any regular hangout, you know, like in terms of museums.
0: Mm Uh, which cultural experience changed the way you see the world?
1: I think hypertext, and maybe for some it's easier to understand it as the World Wide Web or the Internet, but I think hypertext is an older word, but but it's an interesting word. Um,
0: it's a very Dominique González-Fuerster word, isn't it?
1: <laughs> but I think hypertext and the possibility of of connecting uh you're online and you, you know, you're looking at a film and then something is mentioned there and you, you start to read something and then you look for an image and you suddenly find yourself making a kind of collage that is, is not visible for others. But I mean, it leaves traces for data collecting, but we're not so aware of it because it flows like, you know, water and electricity till the day we don't have that anymore and then we realize at least to me how unbelievable it is this circulation through very different objects and texts mm. places images periods in time and it's maybe not what comes to your mind first when you think about a cultural experience but to me it is a cultural experience
0: absolutely yeah which writers or poets do you return to the most
1: I always feel like I don't even have the time to read all what I want to read you know and I'm an experimental reader not only an experimental artist I'm an experimental reader in the sense that I always think this time I found the book you know in this book Everything what I was looking for is is in there. And so it's it's a perpetual search for the book. So returning to books, yeah, I mean, I keep them and some, but it's more like it's... So you might find it very funny, but I'm reading, and this is a suggestion by talking with Tatiana Contu. She wrote Spiritualism and Women's Writing which is one of the books that appears in, in Alienarium 5. And Tatiana talked about Peter Pan and Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens. And all the versions of Peter Pan I read as a child were very uh, condensed, you know, like in a few pages and or, or films. But I had no idea how incredibly well written you know I didn't even know the name of the author you know it's so rich about that period it happens very much with the tales and all these stories that you know condensed or in filmic adaptations it's the same with with Mary Shelley and Frankenstein always the invisible man by Wes or even Sherlock Holmes and that all these books that when you go into the text the original text You also understand why condensed versions could still carry something intense and exciting. It's because the original work is so interesting, like it's so dense that even if you have a very, very pale version, even translated, and it's a bit the same with artwork. sometimes, like very intense, powerful artworks still resonate even when you see a small reproduction or when you read a small description. It's like tons of flowers for one drop of perfume. So at the moment, this is what I'm reading. And I'm just fascinated because, you know, Peter Pan is in Kensington Gardens, the statue. And we have this statue for The Coming Alien that is a collaboration with Paul Preciado. So we were also studying all the statues around. So with Tatiana, we started talking about Peter Pan. And then I said, I need to read this book. And I'm like, what? This is wild. I mean, even the first pages, I'm like, the freedom, the way (laughs) it's written. Anyway, this is me, you know, like one year ago, I was totally into Anna Kavan. She's also in the Meta Panorama. London. UK is an incredible reservoir of literature. Alienarium 5 is also fertilized by all this literature. Like there is Ballard, there's John Brunner, there's Brian Aldis, there is, but there is Catherine Burdekin, and Catherine Burdekin really demands to be more known, you know. So for me, almost every exhibition, every drome or rama or rium or, or, starts with a pile of books
0: exactly and that, and that actually manifests itself in the work doesn't it in the tapis de lecture you know in the various manifestations of that piece there's always different books you know and i felt this too with the metapanorama that it was almost like a an autobiographical work to a certain degree it's about you and your experience of the world through literature through film and music
1: yeah, it's exposing its own bibliography, but also it's, it's exposing this hypertext quality of life that is also a, a cultural gratification in ageing, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> that That's nice. More and more surrounded. But also, again, this symbiotic power, like how any artwork grows from other artworks. It's like when you imagine now, I mean, how sad it is to have this mini lettuce growing in space, you know, on the International Space Station. Like, But how the people on the station say that what sometimes keeps them happy in space is to take care of of some plants and see something grow. When you think of, of how sad it is to imagine a place where you're not connected to so many human and non-human beings and that is so artificial. I think it's a bit the same like to imagine yourself cut from all this empowering thoughts and and meanings and texts and images. And I think I'm just trying to expose how it's not a small lettuce growing (laughs) alone in... (laughs) in a sad uh, spaceship. It's a whole world.
0: Which music or other audio do you listen to while you're working?
1: It depends on what kind of working mood I am. So I find... Philip Glass very useful when i enter in some kind of trance and i i need to achieve quite an amount of work it's repetitive but in a very fertile way and it's it's easy to loop i think when i work i'm i'm into loops at the moment i'm really so earth eater she's also in the meta panorama and i find her singing and her music incredible. I can also spend a lot of time without music, except for these trance moments where I like to really listen to something really with all my thoughts. Also because I'm I'm also writing songs and I'm also with exoterism, we're also doing music. So I am really a passion for music. So I, I don't like it to be a background, not at all. I like it to be most of the time very conscious listening.
0: We could talk about many works of yours which involve music, but I wanted to focus on that extraordinary piece as part of the apparition where you perform as a hologram of Maria Callas. You sing Suicidio from Poncieli's La Gioconda, and I wondered why you chose that aria in particular, because you could have chosen any number, I guess, but why that one?
1: Opera is a late discovery for me. I grew up listening to Patti Smith and, you know, as a teenager, I was a big Patti Smith and Nina Hagen and I was not into classical music at all. I was not into opera. And it's really with our Tempo del Postino in Manchester, Mm. the opera curated by Hans Suresh and and Philippe Pareno that. That experiencing opera started and became very exciting. And then I wanted to take lesson with an opera singer for more than two years. And two apparitions came out of that Fitzgeraldo. So, Fitzgeraldo is this character from the film who's an opera lover and he wants to build this opera in the rainforest. And I think with Kalas, I had to find because I, I really went through the whole thing of learning the songs and even if it's her voice, I sing it at that moment. So I think I chose the words that I could feel I could sing. in a way it's as simple as that. Also I remember discussing it with my professor, and I think we went through different possibilities. But also the words and what they carry. Yeah.
0: I guess it's the qualities that make it so extraordinarily haunting. And it is an amazingly haunting piece. Like it's as if you're experiencing a ghost coming in, singing an aria to you.
1: Yeah, it's really channeling her presence. And I think when you watch it, I think sometimes in that sense, it's it's back to the seance aspect is that sometimes you feel her more than others. I experienced something like, When we did the, yeah, the recording, the filming without sounding completely that art works, but also artistic practices are strange life forms and they, or even monsters sometimes. And they, of course, they have a life that goes beyond the organic human life and yeah when we open doors or gates some powerful things can happen it's as much an audience as an artist experience that i'm describing
0: and one feels that absolutely at this point i always ask about which other media influence your work and of course film influences your work and, and i so of course we're going to talk about film and film was part of your work right from the start when I think of RWF which is Rainer Werner Fassbinder from 1993 a very early work that was squarely addressing the filmic history of Fassbinder's work
1: absolutely like now we know only one room from this apartment but it's it's the RVF bedroom chambre but it was a full apartment and yes fassbinder but also of course david lynch and simon Liang and and then starting to do films myself mm. but yes
0: what i wanted to ask you was to a certain extent whenever i'm watching your works that relate to film i always feel like you're a fan of films that there is yeah
1: i love i love film and i love it's like books i always look for the next perfect film. I traveled a lot because of films. So I went to Hong Kong to see where, to see Chunking House for Chunking Express. I went to Taiwan to see the park. I I went to Japan because of some films and film was always triggering a desire to travel. And it's interesting because now that we have series, which I also like, I feel that film embody the multiple levels in which we travel through our daily life and the relation you can have with the series, which is more sometimes like a, a book or like something you will you will go back to like every night or, or before going to bed or every morning or in parts, but there is a, a kind of companionship with cinema almost like a couple, you know, like I can't describe it other than that. And I just, well, yesterday I was just watching I Married a Witch. It's a film by René Claire and René Claire did en Practe J'ai épousé une sorcière in French. Mm-hmm. But this film is such an incredible film, like they're ghosts, but they're just smoke figures, like and they go through the landscape like this. Then you have Veronica Lake. She's just the most amazing. You've never seen this film? No. Ah, this is for you. <laughs> this is. It enters the category of film that I call exhibitions. Ah. In that sense, that they contain lots of you'd call them artworks or or kind of display ideas or, yeah, watch that film. It's it's a treasure.
0: I will do. Thank you. Thanks for the recommendation. If you could live with one work of art, what would it be?
1: Okay, that would be, I think, if I had to, because as I said, I'm not such a big fan (laughs) of of art. Difficult question
0: for somebody who doesn't surround themselves with anything like that.
1: But I think if I had to choose only one, it would be a date painting by Onkawara.
0: Mm, Nice choice. Today. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And lastly... What is art for?
1: I think I've answered to that question, you know, at length (laughs) since
0: decades. (laughs) Indeed you have. Dominique, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Dominique gonzalez fuersters Alienarium 5 is at the Serpentine South Gallery in London until September the 4th. The work Opera QM15 featuring the hologram of Maria Callas is at the Bourse de Commerce in Paris until the 2nd of January 2023. And you can hear a brush with Philippe Pereno wherever you're listening now. Look for the episode published on the 15th of September 2021. And that's it for this episode. Please subscribe to A Brush With wherever you're listening and do give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Do also subscribe to our other podcasts, The Week in Art, a deep dive into the latest big art world stories, the top shows and the key issues every Friday. We're on Twitter at Tan Audio and on Facebook and Instagram, of course. Production, editing and sound design on A Brush With are by David Clack and the producers of the art newspaper podcasts are Amy Dawson and Henrietta Bentel. Thanks also to Daniela Hathaway. A huge thank you to Dominique González-Werster. See you next week. Bye for now. A Brush With is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects. Download Bloomberg Connects today and discover cultural institutions on demand.